survivor. We're going to divert from our normal theme of going through 1 Samuel. We're going to talk about when it rains. When it rains. So much of your life has to deal with attitude. This is Ronald Reagan's favorite joke. Of all the jokes he told me, so this was his favorite. The joke is, uh, parents had twin boys, and they were about eight years old. And they started to see these twin boys. They had two extreme personalities develop. One was an extreme optimist, could always see something positive, but they thought that could hamper him in life. The other was an extreme pessimist, that even if something good looked like it could happen, he always saw the negative of everything in life. And they thought something has to be worked to kind of balance their two personalities out. So they took him to a therapist, and the therapist said, well, I've treated this type of thing before, and so we're going to start off with seeing exactly how difficult they are, how pessimistic and how optimistic they are. So... The therapist took the optimistic boy who was way too optimistic for, or pessimistic for his own good and always saw the dark in it. He took him to this room full of brand new toys and said, these are all yours. You can take them home. You get to play with them forever. They're completely yours. And the pessimistic boy just started crying and crying. He said, why are you crying? They're free. You get to take them. They're yours. And the, little, the pessimistic boy said, I know as soon as I start to play with them, they're going to break. I know eventually they're going to corrode. And they're just, we're just going to throw them away. There's no point in any of this. It's just a waste of time. The doctor made note of that and said, man, this kid's really messed up. Then he took the optimistic boy and he took him over to another room. And inside this room was just piles and piles of horse manure. The optimistic boy just got all happy and he jumped in the pile of the horse manure and started digging with his bare hands through the piles of horse manure. And the doctor said, what are you doing? What are you doing? And looking back at the doctor with hands full of horse manure, the little boy said, with all this manure, there has to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> Listen, Longfellow, the poet, wrote this. Into every life, some rain must fall. Every person in here is going to experience rain. There's going to experience troubles. They're going to experience either the word cancer or a word like divorce or a word like bankruptcy. Every person in here is going to have some sort of issue where it rains <coughs> in their life. The issue is going to be your attitude about it. Do you see it that God is in control and God is moving? <clears throat> or will you look at it like the other boy? There's nothing I can do. It's hopeless. Will it push you away from God when it rains? When it rains, I'm so glad that God worked this out to let it rain today. That's sarcasm. I want to say two things about rainfall. Number one, if you're taking notes. <clears throat> rain falls because life has rain for everyone. <clears throat> Jesus will say this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. And he sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. <coughs> Not everything is a demonic attack. Ooh, did you get me a water table now? I noticed everyone else watched me talk. Only Katie got the water. I understand where I stand with all of you. Anyways. Not everything is a demonic. You raised a good girl, Bobby Lee. Not everything is a demonic attack. We're going to look at sometimes there is a demonic attack taking place. But you understand, sometimes rain, bad things happen in your life because it's just life. There are sometimes when good things happen to bad people. Thank you. That's the only explanation I have for Ohio State winning the national championship. Sometimes good things happen to horrible people. And sometimes bad things Sometimes, bad things just happen to good people. There is no reason, there's 
nothing that we can explain, and I don't actually know. Listen, cancer, I do know this, was not part of God's original plan. Cancer is a result of Adam's sin, and when he sinned in the garden, he brought a curse of sin in this world, and it happens. Sometimes people just get sick, and it's not because God's punishing them or trying to bless them. Life just happens sometimes. Number two, rain falls because rain can have a purpose. Rain can have a purpose. In John chapter 9, this really interesting thing happened. Jesus and his disciples come across a blind guy who's blind from birth. And the disciples asked a question that was pretty much the common thinking of their time. They said, who sinned? Did this man sin or did his parents sin? And he was blind from birth, so I don't know how he could have done anything like that. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. Neither one of them sinned, and he said this, neither have this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And I want to say this, that personally, um, when I heard that word cancer, I got scared. Now, I didn't drop the phone and run around like a little sissy girl in the building and stuff, but I did get scared. It kind of annoyed me because I always figured my story of getting told something horrible, you know, you go into some big fancy office wood and this doctor who looks like Andy Griffith would sit you down and say, we've been looking over this, but that's not what happened here. I'm in the lobby, a little annoyed that the toilet paper didn't get put away, so I'm putting toilet paper away in the closet, I'm doing a box, I got one knee down, I can show you exactly the spot, my phone rings, and I go, oh, I just answer it. Lady introduced herself, says, is this the sheriff? I said, yeah. She said, I'm with such and such and such, and I'm here to call and to let you know you have cancer. That's not the story I want to share. How did you find out you had cancer? Well, I was putting toilet paper away. I wanted some dramatic event. The doctor was crying. I can't believe. She, she was just really, matter of fact, you have cancer. And I'll be honest with you, I was scared. It kind of freaked me out. I said, you know, things go through my mind, like, where's the will? Do we have a will? And how much does nature not gain? <laughs> Just seen it your way. You know, you're scared. You think, oh, we're adopting these three kids, and Sandra's going to raise them all on her own. That did make me kind of laugh a little. I was like, ha ha, you're going to raise them all on your own. Anyway, but after scared, you know what came after scared? Anger. Because this isn't fair. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't, I don't work in an uranium factory. I don't do any of the things that they say are one of the leading causes of cancer. I don't do any, in fact, mine was skin cancer, and it was right here. I had a mole that decided to become a communist and try to take over the rest of my body. So. But it was skin cancer. And this is what annoyed me the most about that, is because I was like, oh, don't go to candy vets, protect yourself. This part of my body has not seen sunlight in over 20 years. I do not walk around without my shirt on. I know some of you wish I do, right, sir? But I, no, I do not walk around with my shirt not on. My mother taught me shame. And I exercised it, and I got cancer here. And I got angry, and I thought, God, this isn't fair. Look at all these other people. Why didn't you give cancer to Pastor Ken? That's who deserves it. No. He's got four boys. That's enough. No. You know what, though? After going through it, I developed a new perspective. And I see some of God's purpose in it. Um, I know how scary it is to hear that word. And you know, I have probably done this more than a hundred times. So many times I've gone to the hospital before someone has surgery and they're getting ready and I've stayed with them in that prayer. And I'm like, 
for many of you, if you have surgery, this will be the last face you ever see, right? No, but you know, I pray with people and they leave and I always, you know, hug them or give them a high five and say, you got this, God's with you, go ahead here. I've never been the one on the gurney watching someone back there before. I have not. And I understand some of the fear. You know what it's made me feel? It's made me feel a lot more compassion, sympathy, and empathy. Sympathy is I'm sorry you're going through it, but empathy, I know exactly how you feel. And going back there, first of all, they're supposed to like every movie, right? They put a mask over you, like a map, and they say count back from ten, right? That's not what happened. They take you back there, and I look at the table that they're going to put me on. Next thing I know, I'm opening my eyes, and I'm in a recovery thing, and there's a big sore spot on my side. I'm like, what happened? What happened? They're like, oh, you had your surgery. I'm like. It was like Sandra said I was out for like three or four hours. I don't remember a thing. I was expecting to drink, and I didn't drink. I closed my eyes and opened them up four hours later. There's four hours of my life. I have no idea what happened. I, part, part of me had my suspicion this was a big bruise, and they took pictures and did stuff with me back there. And Sandra has this whole thing. There's going to be pictures of me in top hats and a dress somewhere. <laughs> I had my suspicions. I don't trust my wife. I guess is what I'm saying. But, Oh, I love 11 o'clock because I get to say crazy stuff. So anyway, so you know what? I can see some purpose that God had for me. You know, so listen. Even if you don't see the purpose, this rain thought, I want you to get today is this: I can't control the rain. You can try to manipulate God. You can try to control everything in your life. I can't control the rain, but I can control how I react. Amen. Amen. I've noticed this. I love Roundup. I love killing weeds. I get such a great pleasure out of watching weeds slowly die and turn brown. Sometimes I walk back around and I just look at them and go, ha ha, you're tiny. If I was a superhero, my name would be Captain Roundup, and I'd have Roundup pictures. But that's my superhero power, killing weeds. But I've noticed this about me. I can go through this whole, and I've taken a lot of pride in the fact that you won't find weeds until it rains. And as soon as it rains, even this morning, Ken walking through, and I noticed this, and I wanted to get my Roundup, but I couldn't. Because we had rain yesterday. As soon as it rains, weeds pop up. You say, well, the rain brought the weeds. No, it didn't. The weeds and the seeds have been there, and they've been waiting for the rain to pop up. Listen, how are you going to react when the rain comes? When the rain comes, it's going to reveal a lot of weeds that have been in your life. A lot of things that you had that you not dealt with. And many people, when it rains, and they're like, well, the rain caused me to start drinking again. No, it didn't. That issue has been buried there, and when the rain came, it revealed what was deep inside your heart, and you didn't deal with it. When it rains, you can either run to Jesus or you can run to drugs. You can either run to Jesus or you can run to promiscuous lifestyle. You know what that means. You can run to Jesus or you can run to materialism. When it rains, we'll see the weeds that are in your life. The Apostle Paul had more rain on him, I think, than any person alive. And here's the interesting thing. The rain came on Paul after he got saved. When Paul was killing Christians, when Paul was fighting Jesus, he had no rain in his life. But after Paul, the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9, check it out, I'm now, I'm preaching. But after Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, that's when the rain came in his life. After coming to know Jesus, Paul lost his possessions. He was a wealthy man. Paul lost his family. Many of 
people believe his wife left him. In 1 Corinthians 7, I think you can make a good argument for it. That his wife wanted nothing to do, that his dad wanted nothing to do with him, that he had turned his back on them to follow Jesus. Paul lost his possessions, his position. He lost his family. After serving Jesus, now he finds himself on these long, dangerous trips where he's out in the cold and he's using a rock as a pillow and he's trying to spread the gospel and he finds himself being beaten. At one point in Acts chapter 14, he was beaten so bad they left him for dead and I think he died. All of this happened after, making a point, after he got saved, after he went out. You see, there's people that are going to tell you this, and I'm going to emphasize this a couple times. There's people that are telling you, Jesus never wants you to get sick. If you got cancer, it's because you have sin in your life. That sounds a lot like the disciple in John chapter 9. And if you're a believer, you should not only be healthy, you should be rich, and your kids should be perfect. And if you just say things the right way, if you ask, if you pray a certain way, if you do it in enough faith, God has to respond. By the way, that's called the word of faith movement. That's heretics like Benny Hen and Kenneth Copeland and Joyce Meyer and a lot of these other people. Pretty much, if they're on TV, nine out of ten times, they're bad. And they will tell you this stuff. By the way, it's interesting. They don't spread this type of message. They don't go to cancer wards and preach this. They also don't go to the Philippines or South or Africa and some poor countries. They don't preach this if God, if, if you love God, then God will make rich. They don't preach that there. They only preach that in wealthy suburbs areas with people that are healthy. It's interesting, isn't it? But here's the Apostle Paul. Before Jesus, things were going great. After Jesus, not only is it raining, he's living in a hurricane. So what does Paul do? Well, let's look at this in verse 7. Watch Paul's reign. Verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above much a measure above abundance of revelation. He's talking about, unless I start thinking too much of myself because God has given me the Bible to write, and I'm under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and I'm writing all this to keep me humble, when it happens, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, there it is, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that means three times for those of you that went to public school, thrice that it might depart from me. Three times Paul has a thorn in his flesh. He has a thorn in his flesh. And three times Paul will ask God, take this away from me. Take this out. Remove this, what Satan, this demon is doing to me. Take this out of my life and remove it from my body. I'm serving you. I'm writing half of the Bible. I'm doing this. I'm preaching the gospel. People are getting saved. I'm starting churches everywhere. I brought the gospel to Europe. I'm changing world history. Three times. And God said... smart-aleck theologians that believe it's stored in the flesh with his wife. 
I don't believe that because everyone knows a wife is a gift from God. Amen. Nathan, tell your mom I said that. Anyway. Right, Nate? No, no, I'm going to preach against you. But anyway, I believe that, um, seriously, I believe Paul's problem was an eye problem called ophthalmology. And that problem makes your eye puff up and gets all swollen and it starts, pus starts to come down and it's very difficult to see. In fact, you probably started to go blind. Proof of that, if you look at the back of Galatians, the end of the book of Galatians, Paul will write this. You can see how big of letters I have written you in my own personal hand. Because Paul's eye was fading and his sight was going. When he wrote letters and wrote words, he had to write them in his bigger hand. Most of the time, Paul dictated his letters. And we read in 1 Corinthians, he dictated and somebody else wrote them down. There's also in Acts chapter 13, there's a sorcerer who's bothering Paul constantly. And Paul turns around and the Bible says he set his eye on the sorcerer, caused the sorcerer to freeze right there. And the Bible makes a big emphasis to point that Paul set his eye. Because a dude with a big pussy eye and an eye three or four times bigger than it's supposed to be with pus coming down, when that dude stares at you, it's going to get your attention. That's my opinion. When we get to heaven, we can ask Paul, and Paul will tell you that I'm right. But whatever it is, Paul called it a thorn. Now watch with me. This is interesting. The word thorn, maybe we think of a, like a thorn and a rose bush or something. That's not what Paul is saying. He's using the Greek word for steak. Okay, the first thought might be steak that you fry up. Ooh, right? Good, right? Isn't steak great? I don't understand anybody wants to be a vegetarian. There's so much. But that's fine. Everyone should be vegetarian except me. That's more food for me. I can eat more cows. But anyway, <laughs> maybe your first thought is steak, right? That's not the type of steak. It's the steak you would use in a tent, right? And even more specifically, he uses a different word, not just a steak for a tent. He uses the steak a torturer would use. So when we read that Paul has a thorn, he's calling this thorn a constant torture. And God will not remove this. Two observations, my own personal on this. First is this, Christians are never promised a life without language. You are never promised a life without language. Well, I should be healthy and rich and never have a problem. My marriage should be perfect. No one I love should ever die. Never been promised that. Next observation is this. Christians who minister are subject to demonic attack. That word he uses, messenger, I use the King James Version. But it's a messenger of Satan to what? Buffet me. The word messenger is another word for angel. Now, if you don't know this, when Satan, who was an angel and still is the most beautiful angel ever created, when he tried to overthrow God in heaven, you can check that out in Isaiah, he, God cast him out of heaven. He was able, and Revelation tells us, to take a third of the angels, the stars from the sky, with his tail. He was able to take a third of the angels with him. Those angels are now sealed. They can't come back. They are what we call demons. Demons are fallen angels. Angels are not dead people. Your grandma was a lovely person, but she's not an angel. She's either with the Lord or not with the Lord. Your, that, that teacher you had, right, who was a demon to you, when he dies, he does not become a demon, okay? He's either with the Lord or not with the Lord. Demons are fallen angels. Does everybody understand that? But demons attack believers who are working for God. Look at, what, what does that verse say again? The messenger of Satan to what? Buffet me. What was he trying to stop Paul from doing? Serving God. 
get this in our narcissistic world, listen to me. Satan doesn't hate you. You think very much of yourself if you think that. Satan doesn't know who you are. God is omniscient. God is all-knowing. Satan is an angel. could only be in one place at one particular time. Satan has probably never been to Clarkston. This is not a joke. Satan hangs out in places like Moscow, Washington, D.C., Columbus, Ohio. That's the type that's a joke. But that's the type of place where Satan hangs out. He has a network of demons. Daniel chapter 9, 10, and 12 tells us this. He has a network of demons who are fallen angels that he uses. Satan doesn't care if you get saved. He is not trying to raise an army of humans to take over God. That is not his point. He doesn't care if you get saved. He doesn't care what you do with that. What he cares is if you start serving God and doing stuff for God. See, Satan doesn't hate you. He hates God. He can't attack God head on. But what he can do to hurt God is hurt you. There's a group of people in Acts, and they, they go and they call themselves exorcists. And there's this guy, he's demon-possessed, and they try to cast out this demon. And the demon jumps out and beats the snot out of him. And the demon says, we know Paul. We know Jesus. We don't know you. Satan attacks people who serve God. Now, when I was younger, I, I was mellow.
for many people, listen, if, if, if you won a million dollars, that might be the last time you ever prayed. But I have so many finances and I'm struggling with this. Yeah, and that struggle, that thorn, has drawn you closer to God. Could it possibly be like the Apostle Paul that God has put rain, a thorn in your life, to draw you closer to Him? My grace, thy, your grace is sufficient. In fact, not only will Paul glorify God, watch this, Paul will praise God because of his thorn. Whoa, whoa. Crazy idea. We're supposed to come to church to celebrate. To celebrate what Jesus has done. To celebrate how great God has been in our lives. To celebrate all of these things. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not what Paul will praise. Paul will praise God for things like cancer. Paul will praise God for things like bankruptcy. Paul will praise God. I lost my life because of Jesus. Paul will praise God for it. Look at verse 10. Therefore I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Look at the word Paul uses about his thorn. Look at the words. He uses words like grace, gladly, glory, pleasure. These are the words of someone who has had the world throw everything at them and yet is still standing in the rain. Listen to me. This isn't in my notes, but I'm just going to have some fun. Sorry. Sometimes there's two reasons for you not to give up. I'm going to give you two good reasons not to give up. Number one is Jesus. Amen? Amen. Number two is sheer stubbornness and spite. Sheer stubbornness and spite. When Sandra and I got engaged and we were going to get married, uh, we met in Springfield, Missouri. God awful place. No, we met in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, uh, she's from West Texas, and so we were going to get married there. Her pastor had retired, Dr. M. O. Garters, a great Texas man of God. And another pastor and his wife had taken over the church where she uh, grew up in. Well, this pastor's wife is big into personality tests, right? You take these personality and find all these things about. Well, she wanted us to take a personality test. We said, all right. Sandra takes it, takes it. It's one of those scantrons, like 100 questions. At a certain point, I just got tired and started, like, making objects and drawing my Tyrannosaurus Rex is with it. This is stupid. Don't take a dumb question. <laughs> would you rather, like, fish, or would you rather? I'm like, oh, this is so stupid. So I fill it out. The lady calls Sandra up in a panic. One week before we're about to get married. We're going to go to West Texas and get married. One week, and she says this to my wife. Then fiance, the hot chick I was in love with. She says this. Not only should you two not get married because you're such extreme personalities, you two shouldn't even be friends. Sandra calls me up, she's crying. She says we shouldn't be married and it won't work out, we'll be divorced or something or other. And my response was, she's an idiot. <laughs> so that didn't, that didn't suffice her. So we went to see our pastor in Springfield, and our pastor, we told him the whole story, and our pastor in Springfield said, she's an idiot. <laughs> and then we, she called Brother Garner, her pastor, who she just loved and trusts, and she went home to be with the Lord, and he said, she's an idiot. You understand that sometimes in marriage, sometimes in life, Sometimes just out of sheer spite, you don't give up. I would like to say our marriage has been 100% just roses and everything. I mean, she's married to me. What else does she want? But I'll tell you this right now. There's two things that have kept us together. Well, three. One, we said that whoever leaves has to take all the kids with us. But anyways, seriously, one is Jesus. Do you know what the second one is? Pure spite and stubbornness that that lady isn't right. Many times. 
times we've looked at each other, I don't want to, I don't like you, you don't like me, but that thing is going to be right. <laughs> some of you right now, the rain is falling. Trust Jesus, and maybe for some of you, out of sheer spite, prove your mother-in-law wrong. Prove your father-in-law. Prove your dad wrong. Your dad said you couldn't make it. You couldn't stay out of jail. That other, Your mom said you're going to be back on drugs. They called you a loser. They said you couldn't do it right. Out of sheer spite sometimes, just serve Jesus. You'll never hear that from any other preacher. Will you? Why do you serve God? Just out of bitterness and spite. <laughs> Rains on you, sometimes Jesus, and sometimes just the sheer determination not to give up. If you're here today, listen, you're thinking of walking away from your marriage, you think I've given up, who knows what you're thinking about? Don't give up. Again, I've been involved, and you say this, you might get me one day soon, but it ain't going to be today. It's not going to be today. You might break up my marriage one day, but it's might get my kids out of drugs one day, but it's not going to be today. Amen? Amen. By the way, <laughs> you lie on your hatchet? <clears throat> Sheer spike. <laughs> you know what I came? And there was a lady running around the church and said, uh, he won't last two years. We're going to run him out. He won't be here after two years. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You know what? I'm still here to be strong. <laughs> so what is that, Pastor? Spike. Sheer spike. Amen? There you go. What Paul saw in the rain. I'll give you three things. 930 doesn't get these jokes, by the way. <laughs> Sometimes I, I don't do this very often at 930. I, I stay very straight and speak like this. I'm at of God's word. When it comes to 11, I'm tired. I don't, this is when Paul saw in the rain, number one, Paul saw God's authority. Paul saw God's authority. We love authority. We love being able to tell somebody what to do. And sometimes we think that we can manipulate people and we can, listen, don't confuse God's authority with our authority. There's this great theological term, and I love this word. It's probably my favorite theological word, and it's this. It reigns with God's providence. And providence is defined by a lot of ways of God working behind the scenes, uh, God building you up for a specific... I've heard some amazing definitions of providence. It's God doing what he wants. This is my definition of providence and what it means theologically. It's very simply, God's got this. That rain came in your life, you can't explain it, you, you, don't, you won't know the purpose until the other side of heaven, maybe. You don't understand, it just... It just poured down, something horrific happened, somebody you love died, everything. I, what do I do, Pastor Steve? <clears throat> Providence of God. God has got this. Amen? Amen? He can tell cancer anytime he wants. Out. Sometimes he does. Some of you are here because of that. But you know what? Sometimes he doesn't. So what do I do?
I don't understand the Trinity completely. I can give you examples of waters, solid rivers. I can tell you like me, I'm a son, I'm a brother, I'm a father, I'm a pastor, I'm an uncle, I'm a cousin. I'm all that, but I'm yet the same person. How God works three in one, separate personalities, but still God, unified together. I don't fully understand the Trinity. I don't understand all of those concepts, but this is what I do. I don't understand everything. I understand this. God loves me. Because of that, he has a purpose. I may not know that on this side of heaven, but God loves me. And when it rains in my life, the rain might just be something that happens. The rain might have no purpose. The rain, I don't care about the rain. That's not my issue today. And I don't want you to focus on the rain and the thorn and the flood. Don't focus on that. Focus on the God who can get you through it. Number three. Paul saw God's reward. There's a quiet epidemic going on, all seriousness. There's a quiet epidemic going on in our country of suicide. Suicide has now reached the top ten reasons of causes of death in America today, of everybody. Suicide is still, like it has always been, the number two cause of death of teenagers. You know what number one is? Alcohol. But there's a quiet desperation and an epidemic of people who are giving up who can't endure the thorn, who can't walk through the rain one more day. If you have those type of thoughts, would you please call me? Would you please reach out to somebody? My, my number is on the top of the newsletter. That's my cell phone number, the 734. Would you call, text, and say, I need some help? Would you reach out to somebody? If it's not me, somebody, if it's Pastor Ted, reach out to somebody in that, because many times, instead of seeing the end that we're going to reach, Many times the rain and the thorn in the flesh takes so much of our attention and we feel completely hopeless. Paul, through all the rain, saw God's reward. If you're struggling, listen, the struggle is worth the reward. The struggle is worth the reward. I want to show this little video. I think it's really cute. The Washington Capitals won the Stanley Cup and the new playoffs, there was a game. And this really cute little girl, little blonde hair, and being a dad with girls, that really gets my attention with this stuff. This little girl, one of the players was trying to get, toss a puck over and give it to her. And they kept, they, first they gave it to the boy and she feels like, oh, this is hopeless, this is pointless. And then he, the guy tosses another one over and they give it to the other boy and she, you see on her face, She's just willing to give up, and there's no point. And then the player brings the third one over, and it is her face. She is so cute. I mean, she's so cute, she'll give you, a, she'll give you diabetes. She's so sweet, right? She's just so cute. And listen, sometimes you're going to be struggling, and you're going to feel like this little girl, and it's not working out, and somebody else is getting blessed right by you who doesn't even deserve it, and somebody else, and you feel completely alone. I want you to remember this little girl this week. Finally, 